All right. All right, I want to begin this morning with a question. Here it is. If you could change one thing in the whole world, what would it be? It's a real question. If you could change one thing, one thing if there was one thing that seemed impossible to you, the kind of thing that you would never dare to hope for, but if it happened, it would change everything for you, what would you change? What would it be? We got answers. All right, let's go. No mosquitoes. No mosquitoes. Peter? No sin. Ian? No death. Those are big things. Yeah. No, no weeping, no crying, no sorrow. It would stay light till 9 o'clock in the winter. That would change everything. That would change everything. How about uh, just the world, the world we live in? No sin. That was huge. Yeah. Having politicians that, that loved God, that cared about God and the things of God. Yeah. No school? <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> the end of abortion, mass revival and reformation. Okay, how about closer to home? How about just your life, just your life? Forget the mosquitoes and the sin and the politics. How about just your life? What would you change? Yeah. All my grandchildren in one town. All my we're glad you're here this morning. <laughs> Maybe they could all be here. Yeah. What else? No disease. No sickness. No dementia. Get a promotion. Get a raise. Win the lottery. How about your marriage? How about that? All I want is my husband to pick up the socks. All I want is my wife to stop being a nag about stupid things like socks. How about your kids? How about your kids? What's the thing with your kids you're almost afraid to hope for? Your kids, Peter? Huh? Your kids? Uh, sorry, what did you have? Your marriage? <laughs> all right, all right, kids. That they'd all love Jesus? That they'd all marry godly spouses? That they wouldn't repeat the sins of their parents? We keep going, right? We can go through all the fears and hopes and dreams we have for our kids, for our families, for our marriages, for our homes, for our parents, for our brothers, our sisters, for the world, we could get really personal. This morning we're coming back again to Abraham in Romans chapter 4 and to Sarah, and this is what I want us to think about. Somewhere around 4,000 years ago, a childless 75-year-old man and his barren 65-year-old wife met God. 
And God made them a promise. And the promise was that Abraham and his children would inherit the whole world. 75 years old. Your children that you don't have at 75 that you've been unable to have are going to inherit the whole world. You're going to be a father of many nations. It's all going to be yours and theirs. Before there was circumcision, before there was a law, before there was Moses, before there was a Bible, there was just Abraham, childless, at 75. An unbeliever even. Wasn't looking for God. Sarah was barren in 65. I want us to wrap our heads and I want us to stop and appreciate the impossibility of it. The absurdity of it. The craziness of it. 75 years old, alone, a God you don't know comes to you and says, you're going to inherit the world. Your kids are. It's going to happen. And then he makes you wait almost 25 years until you're 99 before you have that son. How old are you? If you're 40, how many years is that? Let's make it easy. If you're 39, how many years is that? 60 years. I'm almost 39. Peter's my oldest son. Peter, how old will you be in 60 years? Can you do that math? 74. Older than your grandparents. It's crazy. God promised that Abraham would have a son with his beloved wife who's not been able to have kids. That through that son he'd become the father of many nations. That his children would outnumber the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. That out of his line a savior would come that would save the world. He made them after that wait another 24 years. And when it all seemed hopeless and impossible, Abraham held on to God's promise. He wavered at times. He and Sarah both did, right? And we talked about that last week. But for 24 years, they held to the promise. When it was impossible, God delivered on the promise. He gave them a son through a miraculous birth. And then Abraham, as an old man still clinging to God's promises, took that son, loaded the wood on his shoulders, took him up on a mountain to sacrifice him, to kill him. And the Bible tells us that still, even then, when he raised his hand to kill his son, he was trusting and hoping in God's promises. Impossible as it would be, God would still give his children, the nations, through this son that he was about to kill. He was still living by faith. Abraham acted out. He lived deep in his bones the promise that is ours in Jesus. There are many things in life that are not promised to us. There are many things that we do hope for and some things that we don't hope for. We're not promised an easy life. We're not promised financial success. We're not promised that we'll win the lottery. We are promised that God loves us and will take care of us. We're not promised that we won't suffer. In fact, we are promised that if we are godly and desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. We're also promised that God will hold us up in the midst of our affliction as we suffer. We're not promised that we'll have an easy time. We are promised that Jesus wins, the gospel is powerful to save, 
and God is in the business of transforming lives. Fix all of that in your hearts and minds as we come to this week's passage. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For, it is the adherents of the, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Okay, here is what he is saying. God's promise comes through faith, always. It never comes through law. If obeying God's law is a means to obtain the promise, the promise is worthless. Why? Because we can't do it. We can't do it. It's not possible. It's an empty promise because it's a promise that can't be grasped or laid hold of. We can't do it. Abraham couldn't do it either. First of all, Paul doesn't even bother mentioning that the law hadn't come for yet, uh, yet and wouldn't come for another 400 years, but he didn't have to. The law of God reveals our sin, which means judgment and wrath. We all fall short. We can't measure up. We can't keep God's law perfectly. If God's promises depend on our obedience to the law, we're sunk. God would just be rubbing it in our face. God's promises have to rest on grace. It has to be a gift. It has to be free. That means it can't be earned. It has to be given. So it has to come through faith, not by works. Some of you had uh, parents whose love was conditional. They were only happy with you if. And that if was a big if. And some of you see God that way too, but that's not how it is with God. With God, love comes first. Grace comes first. God loved the world, therefore God sent his son. While we were helpless and hopeless, dead in our sin, Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died on our behalf. In the next chapter, Paul's going to put it this way. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for his enemies. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just because Paul started with the wrath of God in Romans 1 does not mean that God's first orientation to us is anger. Paul was presenting the problem. The problem that God's love and grace and mercy had to overcome which is that we all deserve God's wrath and judgment, and he is angry with sin. Psalm 7 says he's angry with the wicked every day. But if he were only angry, the earth would not be spinning. If God's promises depend on our obedience to God's law, if it's about some kind of if-then, it becomes conditional. It's not grace. It's works. It's vending machine spirituality. And God won't have that. In fact, it's not possible. We can't do enough on our own to please God. On our own, we're dead in sin. When we pull out the law of God and give it a look, we find more sin than we even knew was in us. Trying to come to God to earn his love 
It's like trying to come to a vending machine, except every time you put more money in the slot, the debt gets bigger. It takes more money to get out what you want. Because the idea that we can earn God's favor is offensive to God. We can't earn his favor. We just pile up a fence when we try to do it. Because we have the nerve to think we can overcome our own sin. And not only that, we reject the love he's offered us freely in Jesus. We act like Jesus came and suffered and died for nothing. No thanks, not necessary, I'll do it myself. This way of thinking runs deep in us though. Some of us, like I said, had parents who were this way and some of us treat our kids this way. We tell them that we are vending machines. Push the right buttons, put in the correct change, make mommy or daddy happy, maybe you'll get what you want. Screw it up and whack. Well, Jake, I thought we spent the whole summer learning about Proverbs teaches us you reap what you sow. It's important to teach our kids to connect actions to consequences. We live in a world that's reap what you sow. Kind of says love is conditional, right? Isn't it a vending machine world? You put in the correct change, you get the correct results? No. No. Why? Because love comes first, that's why. That's why. And that's the whole ballgame. That's the difference that matters. With our kids, we don't discipline them by withholding our love. We discipline them because we love them. With God, he doesn't discipline us by withholding his love. He disciplines us because he loves us. Love comes first. In our homes, love has to come first. Kids know and feel the difference. Here's another thing. If we're looking to control the outcomes with God, to earn his love by putting in the correct change, we'll be that way with our kids. We'll teach them God is that way, and it will all come back around to God again. Here's what I mean. Parenting will become about tactics first. Parents will become, parenting will become first about putting in the correct change, right? Seeking to put in the correct change so that we can get the correct results, so that we can have control. Are our kids misbehaving or struggling? Well, maybe we didn't get the tactics right. Maybe we're not raising kids God's way. Maybe we did the discipline thing wrong, or maybe the discipline thing itself is wrong, or maybe I wasn't holding my tongue right, or maybe I said the wrong words. Maybe if I just got the formula right and everything in the right order, then it would all just kind of be right. Maybe there are some tactical things you can improve as a parent. Maybe consistency is really important instead of switching tactics. We can talk about all the tools in the tool shed. Tools in the tool shed matter. They're important, but it is more important to remember that love comes first. And to be sure that our kids know and feel that love. That's why if, you've, uh, if we've talked, if we have sat down and talked about parenting, you and me, one of my favorite tools in the toolbox is what? It's first thing you do when you come home, throw the phone in the bedroom, get down on the floor for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, 20, 30 minutes, I don't care. It doesn't have to be much. But put the phone in the bedroom, get down on the floor with the kids and just love them, play with them, be hands-on, touch them, tickle them, wrestle them around, play their games with them. Why? Because you need to establish the relationship. You need to fix in their minds and hearts that with dad, with mom, love comes first. Make them feel seen and heard and safe in your love and start there. In that context, your discipline will be received. Without that, it's just noise. It's scary. Okay, cool. Tick the play box first. Come tick the box, do the play thing. Five minutes, got it. 
expect results. Correct change, correct results. <laughs> no, it's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, love your kids. Orient your hearts to them. Pray for them by name every day. That's what the prayer journals are about. Just like, hey, let's every day in a way that we can look back on and say, yeah, I did that. Pray for the kids by name every day. And then find ways to show it and make it felt. When parenting is about tactics first, what's really going on, we're back to that vending uh, machine relationship with God. Put in the correct change in the kids. The kids give us the correct results, which is to say God owes us the correct results. God owes it to us to give us children that make us happy and that do the right things because we've done the right things. And here's what Paul is saying. The minute you try to take God's promises and make them something you earn, you lose it all. You lose it all. You can't have it that way. You have to lay hold of God's promises by faith. And that means they're not something that you can control. And we want control. And that's why we want a vending machine God and a vending machine husband and a vending machine wife and vending machine kids. If we can just control the inputs, we can control the outcomes, and that eliminates faith from the equation. And we don't even have to love anybody. And it's not real life, and it is not God. Okay, let's keep going. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. All right. Abraham was past all hope. God made promises. Promises are that he would inherit the world and become a father to many nations. And in hope, against hope, considering his own body and the body of his wife and the impossibility of it all, Abraham believed God. Did God keep his promise? Look around the room. We are the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham 4,000 years later. Here we are. On the other side of the world, we are Abraham's children by faith. We are one of many nations where Abraham has his children. The nations are his. The scriptures are here. The Messiah is his. Look what God has done. Promises made, promises kept. He didn't even get to see them. But here we are. And it's God's assurance to you and me that, hey, look, God makes promises. God keeps his promises. God made impossible promises to Abraham, and here we are. Sands of the seashore, stars of the sky. God delivers on all of God's promises, even and especially the ones that seem impossible. He gives life to the dead. He makes things that exist, or he makes things to exist that don't exist. That's what Paul says. He can fulfill every promise he's ever made. It is not too hard for him. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. These words were written for our sake too. Abraham believed God. 
Abraham trusted in God's promises. God counted that to him as righteousness. We can believe God. We can believe God's promises. God will count it to us as righteousness. God raised Jesus from the dead. That means we can be forgiven and justified. And that's what we've been talking about for a while now as we've studied Romans. And it is the most important thing. How can we be saved from the wrath of God? How can we be saved from sin? But Abraham trusted in God for more than just deliverance from sin. He trusted all of God's promises. Right? That's what he's talking about. The promises were bigger than personal promises for Abraham's own soul. They are for us too. And like Abraham, we can trust all of God's promises for us. We have to. We have to trust God for our families. We have to trust God for our kids. We have to have hope. If God can do all he did for Abraham when it was impossible, he can do it for you and for me when it feels impossible. He's made promises to you. Beth, you're holding your grandbaby. Does this feel possible to you? God's faithful to his promises. Here's a list of promises God makes about our kids. Ben sent them to me yesterday. Just listen. Genesis 17, 7, God talking to Abraham. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. To a thousand generations. Is he the same God? He is. Isaiah 59. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Jeremiah 32, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Luke 18, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them, but Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In Acts chapter two, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We can claim these promises for ourselves. We can own them. We can trust them. Because we have a God who gives life to the dead. A God who calls into existence things that do not exist. The other day I was, uh, I was at Barnes & Noble working. Sometimes I go there to hide. I was tucked away upstairs at a table they have like games and kids things and they have like the young adult section. 
This time of year, uh, Barnes and Noble is a kind of a heartbreaking place to be. Um, a lot of stores are if you are paying attention, if you're in a position to just sort of observe. So sitting at the table there, and what do I notice constantly? What I actually notice are like a steady stream of grandmas who are shopping for Christmas presents. And they're insecure, and they're afraid, and they're hopeful, and they're trying to find the right thing, and they're trying to get it right, and all the books look the same, and who knew that Rick Riordan wrote so many things? And it's hard, and they're asking people for help, and they're confused, and they just wanna buy the present that is gonna be loved. They wanna make their grandkid happy. And it's hard, like it's just hard sitting there, feeling that tension and that pain, that desire, that hope, that anticipation, the fear that, oh, I might get it wrong. A lot of effort and anxiety and insecurity goes into some of the gifts that you get on Christmas, right? Some of the gifts that you give on Christmas. And you can think back to your own childhood with, and think back on your own ingratitude with pain. Wish you could go back and just hug that grandparent Kids don't know that. They just know it's present time. They have hopes and dreams and desires too. They're not trying to mediate anything. Most of us parents and grandparents know that too, right? We don't put too much pressure on ourselves to get everything perfect or on the kids to respond just the right way, right? It's just stuff. But still, what is it that's so painful for some people or so agonizing? It's a combination of fear and hope at war in somebody who just wants to make a kid happy faced up against the reality that we can't be certain, even in our hope that our Christmas presents will get the response that we want. <laughs> it's how uncertain it all is. It turns out kids aren't vending machines. Neither is God, but he is a God of promises. Those promises are promises we can hope in. They're promises we can trust in even when it seems impossible even when it feels impossible. And it's not that all of our kids will become believers, okay? That's proven by Abraham and his children. Not all Israel is Israel. We can't control our kids. But it's also true that God loves to work through families. And Abraham proves that too, because Israel is still Israel. And 4,000 years later, here we are. Abraham was not seeking God, but God sought Abraham. So whether you're from outside, whether you're from inside, if you belong to God, it's because he has given life to the dead. And it's because he has called into existence things that do not exist. God gave life to Sarah's dead womb. God gave his son Jesus to a virgin and put him on the altar. It was all impossible. Isaac, Abraham got back as from the dead. Jesus walked forth from the tomb because God does the impossible. All right, last week was faith and justification. This is a sermon about hope and promise. There is nothing in your life. There is no deadness, no sin, no familial sin, no generational sin, no trauma, no pain where God cannot bring life. Because Sarah had a child and because Jesus walked out of the tomb. And the world is now Abraham's because the world is now Jesus's. So what are the things in your life where God has made promises that feel impossible? Where God's made promises? What are the places where 
God has made promises and it feels hopeless. Here's an example of something more hopeless. A 99-year-old man and his 89-year-old wife had a baby boy. And that baby boy gave birth to a nation who brought forth a line of prophets and priests and kings that gave us the scriptures, that gave us the Messiah of the world that extend across millennia to this very moment in this very building to this day. We are the fulfillment of that promise. And it says to you in your situation, in your doubt, in your fear, and in your despair, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Where God makes promises, God keeps promises. Where God makes promises, there's hope. We love to be practical in our preaching. Sometimes the most practical thing is hope. Just hope. Look at the fruit that hope produced for Abraham. The hope that God would deliver on his promises against all hope. So what held him fast? So he believed God. He believed. It looked impossible. He didn't care. He believed God. He hoped. And God counted it to him as righteousness. And look at his children. So believe God. Believe God's promises. We hope in the God who brings life from death, who brings things into being from nothing, who delights to be glorified in his children, who has made promises to be a God to us and to our children to the thousandth generation. He has promised to be glorified in Abraham's children, and that's what you are, Paul says, if you walk in the faith that Abraham had. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises to Abraham and for calling us into your house to be part of them. Give us faith and help us to hope and trust in you. For our kids, for our kids' kids. Help them to embrace Jesus by faith and to turn from their sin. Help us to be faithful in teaching, instructing, raising them. Help us to help each other. In Jesus' name, amen.